Okay, hello everyone. Uh, we're going to spend some time in God's Word together. So if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of James and chapter 5. We're going to read the passage uh, from verse 7 through to verse uh, 11. Here we go. It says, uh, says this. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Uh, this morning, we're going to take some time to go on a journey uh, through suffering to patience uh, and then hope. So this passage confronts us with suffering in a way like the whole book has confronted us with with suffering. James is writing to people who know about many and various trials. You remember right back at the beginning in chapter 1 uh, and verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Um, another theme through the book will be kind of poverty. Brothers and sisters who are in humble circumstances, chapter 1, verse 9. Not every believer uh, was poor that James was writing to, but a lot of them were. They knew about poverty, even from the passage that Blessing was preaching uh, last time around. Many of them knew oppression from the rich. Uh, they had many trials. Um, James encourages them in chapter 1, verse 12, you know, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who uh, love him. We we looked as well in chapter two at the, the problem, the sin of favoritism and discrimination, uh, that there would be some people amongst them who have experienced, uh, experienced that ugly sin. Um, and so perhaps there's no surprise that as the, the letter uh, is starting to draw to a conclusion, a, a close, we're, we're, we're well into chapter five, um, that he returns to some of these themes of, of suffering. And in this passage, uh, perhaps we could say there are the two types of suffering that are highlighted by referencing both the prophets and then uh, then Job. We find out that um, we're to consider the, the suffering that, that was experienced by the prophets in verse 10, who spoke the name of the Lord. In other words, there is suffering that believers experience uh, by virtue of speaking in the name of the Lord, speaking unpopular truths and that's what the the prophets were so often doing and if we wanted to pick out one example um, I would suggest uh, Jeremiah his call from God his commission was to speak the unpopular truth to a to a nation to the people of God who did not want to uh, listen and so his suffering included quite a lot of of ridicule being ignored being imprisoned and his life being threatened itself now, some of us may not have experienced that level of suffering, but we'll be able to identify with what it's like to be 
unfriended for your faith. Maybe you've even experienced that in school. Even just the mere mention of, uh, of being a Christian or being, being in a family that goes to church was enough to make you uh, socially excluded from friendship groups. Uh, you know, there's the sting of that kind of suffering. Um, there's another type of suffering, I suppose, by, by referencing Job. Uh, now, we can't do justice to all of this in a, what I guess will be a 25-minute message or thereabouts. But um, Job experienced mysterious suffering, if you like. Um, he lost absolutely everything through no fault or unrighteousness of his own. He was a man of integrity who honoured God in pretty much everything he did. Um, and yet he suffered. He lost, um, he lost his possessions. He lost his children. No parent should have, the death itself is ugly, but that a parent should have to deal with, um, their children's death. Uh, yeah, so, so Job, I think, must have gone to the funeral and made funeral arrangements for his seven sons and three daughters. That's just sickening. It's, it's gut wrenching. Uh, what he went through, and then chronic illness with sores all over his body that he would take a piece of pottery and just scratch at in the dust. Sat there, nothing. Uh, maybe some uh, listening to this can identify with Job, and you could say, yeah, I have lost everything, um, and it wasn't through my own fault. Uh, maybe there were others of us who can just get a hint of it, perhaps. Um, through mysterious grief. I mean, mysterious is there's just no easy or clear explanation. Why miscarriage? Why infertility? Why did that person die? Why did we have to go through such pain? Or, or whatever else it may, it may be. You can, you get a flavor of it. You've, you've, you've known those times of, of gut wrenching pain and suffering. And right now, I suppose many of us, all of us, affected one way or another by this prolonged experience of being isolated, uh, of, of not having any, it seems, regular interactions um, with groups of people. You can you know, sometimes watch the television and look at people and uh, uh, programs that were recorded before the pandemic and think, whoa, whoa, you're, you're too close. Oh, it, it, that was a different time. It's affected the way that we think. It's, it's affected life um, at every, every level, and we don't know how long it's going to last. There's a, there's a suffering. Now, God doesn't just understand suffering in theory. Uh, looking at a world of suffering, he didn't just throw down a few helpful pep talks, say things like, uh, uh, I know it's hard, but try and look on the bright side. Or you know, try and be positive. Or maybe even, oh, come on, get over it. It's not that bad. That wasn't God's response to suffering. What God did in Christ, his son, was come and take on uh, human flesh, fully man and fully God, and experience all manner of ugly suffering for himself, firsthand, for real, um, in every which way. Uh, he, he suffered. He obviously knew the pain of being um, unfriended, uh, betrayed, and unjustly treated, and beaten, and he was spat upon time and time again before he went to the cross itself, uh, where he experienced an excruciating execution. Um, 
he knows all about uh, suffering. There are some heresies that kind of imagine that maybe Jesus was only like a strange blend of uh, of God and, and humanity, not really fully God and not really fully human, just a bit of a strange blend. Or even that perhaps, uh, you know, the divine part of Jesus came down to him at his baptism and then neatly just quickly left before the crucifixion. No, no, Jesus, fully man and fully God, experienced the, the depths of suffering that would, that cause us to shudder. So then as a result, we can read uh, verses like Hebrews chapter two. If we just turn there, um, Hebrews chapter two, and just to, to pick out a couple of verses, uh, verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. You go further on to verse 18 and read this. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. He knows all about it. He, he doesn't have to kind of imagine. Uh, he, there is a, a man on the throne of heaven who is fully God, who is approachable in every situation and every crisis, who gets it, who is full and overflows with compassion for those who are suffering. So what do we make of this call then to be patient? Be patient in the face of this suffering. Um, that's a theme that comes through loud and clear, an instruction that comes through in this passage. Verse 7, be patient then, brothers and sisters. Uh, just go a little bit further on and we see a, a, a farmer who is waiting patiently. In verse 8, you too, be patient and stand firm. It then sets out the prophets as an example of patience. And perhaps just to avoid overusing the word, he then talk, talks, talks about perseverance, talks about Job's um, perseverance. You find that uh, encouraging? Do you find it glib? Does it seem to trivialise um, the suffering? Just to quickly jump to the instruction, be patient and for some of us, it might be quite easy to say without understanding the depth of suffering that someone else is experiencing. I think James knew all about suffering as well. You know, he's writing to people who have fled from Jerusalem because of persecution, and that's where he still is. He lives there. He's not left. I think he knew something about, um, about persecution and about suffering. Um, but perhaps from the lips of someone who hasn't suffered very much, the, the quick, ready advice, be patient, could sound a bit uncaring. Um, this was brought home to me recently by reading a letter, uh, the letter uh, that Martin Luther King wrote from a Birmingham jail, uh, not in this nation, but in Alabama in the US in 1963. And he'd visited that place uh, because of tremendous racial tension with uh, segregation laws uh, in particular. And so he was there to organise and take part in peaceful protest. Okay, note that, peaceful protest. Um, and uh, a group of white uh, church leaders who were not unsympathetic towards the, the, the aims of bringing integration and seeing an end to racism, um, wrote him a letter effectively saying, 
uh, as much as we um, support your intentions, we think you've been unwise um, and you've rushed ahead uh, in organising these these protests and now being in prison. So he's in prison and he's received that letter. Uh, he wrote a letter in response, which you can find on the internet or you can buy in a book, um, which has gone down in history. Um, now, I'm just going to quote some of it. Um, it's 7,000 words long, so you have to read the rest of it in your own time. He says this, Perhaps it is easy for those who've never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you've, been, when you've seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you've seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million black brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering, as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on the television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that Fun Town is closed to coloured children and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness towards white people. He goes on. When you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a black man living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, and are plagued with inner fears and outer resentments, when you are forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. You know, the words be patient can't just be used to, to cover over misunderstanding, kind of quick, lazy advice. They aren't that in the scriptures. Let's not make them that um, in how we relate to others. When we're seeking to understand uh, suffering that we haven't experienced firsthand ourselves and may not yet or ever fully understand um, as a result. Um, it helps us perhaps see what patience is not. Patience is not being indifferent. Now, whatever the suffering that you may have experienced or you may be witnessing in someone else's life, the instruction, be patient, does not mean be indifferent. Try not to care about it. Try not to feel anything. Press all those feelings down, forget about it and move on. That's not being patient. And being patient is not being inactive. Don't, don't speak up. Just you know, keep stum. Don't make a fuss. Um, in a way, Martin Luther King was making a fuss in Birmingham, uh, Alabama. Later that year, four girls would be killed by an exploding bomb um, in a church building uh, in that same town. Just utterly outrageous. And obviously we can think of things that sadly have happened much more recently, uh, where the same injustice uh, has been felt. So patience is not being inactive. Those prophets were speaking in the name of the Lord. Uh, uh, Jeremiah kept speaking in the name of the Lord um, those unpopular truths to a society that didn't want to listen. So we have that call in us as a people um, to speak for the Lord. Um, the alternative perhaps to, to being patient, if we don't process suffering well, is grumbling. We can grumble 
against one another, it says in verse 9. Perhaps that involves those who haven't suffered very much, saying to those who have, or thinking in their minds, I guess they must have sinned. This must be their fault, uh, what they're experiencing uh, right now. Um, or perhaps other things like, they should, they should get over it, really. They're overreacting. Uh, it could go the other way, where those who have and are suffering greatly look to those who they might think are just totally at ease and criticise. Um, you know, we need to avoid that kind of response. But what, how be patient? How do we be patient? At this point, I was reminded of Natalie's puddle. Uh, from a few weeks back, uh, Natalie was sharing with us in a little video clip um, that the childlike um, kind of enthusiasm, I suppose, to go through a puddle, you can jump up and down in it, rather than go round it. Um, but those more advanced in years, we kind of think, oh, we, we'll kind of tiptoe around uh, the puddle. And I've just been kind of pondering that image, really, and thinking, well, do we do that with, with suffering? Um, we kind of want to ignore that it's even there. We, we want to skirt around the edges, maybe of our own suffering, or perhaps of someone else's. Maybe we want to rush to the right answer um, uh, and quick fix solutions and say things like, well, I can't complain, or I'm fine, or perhaps say to other people, chin up, good times are coming. And let's pray that they are, but let's not assume that they are. Uh, what's to say 2021 is going to be this wonderful year that puts everything right? You know, let's, let's pray that a vaccine is, has a positive effect and so on. But God doesn't owe us. We're not entitled to have all of our suffering just neatly taken away because it's uncomfortable for us. We have to face the fact or the, the possibility that the coming 12 months are still going to be really, really hard and grim in lots of different ways. Uh, Temptation might be just to try and skirt around it, but actually some puddles are just so big, you just got to go through it. There's no other other way. And then some of you might ask, well, yeah, but I don't want to give way to self-pity. I don't want to start wallowing in this puddle. And I said, well, no, let's, not, let's not wallow, but let's not pretend it isn't there. And I think the way in which we can help ourselves to be patient biblically in the midst of affliction is to learn properly how to lament. The Bible has many examples of people lamenting. Um, and uh, that's something that we can pay greater attention to. A um, bit of homework, perhaps, even this week, is, is reading a few passages which show us people lamenting. You could read Job chapter 3. You could read Jeremiah chapter 12. You could read Psalm 88. Um, if you still wanted to read a bit more, you could read the whole book of Habakkuk, which isn't too long, so it shouldn't take forever, um, or uh, the book of Lamentations, uh, to see what lamenting involves. I mean, Lamentations, the only verses in Lamentations we know and quote are like the two or three positive lines right in the middle um, of chapter three. But reading the whole book, you see, lamenting for a whole nation not just one individual's uh, suffering and the next thing would be this how about writing your own not to publish and broadcast necessarily but as your way of engaging with God by faith to bring a lament well what might that look like well first of all writing it out um, 
First of all, cry out to God. When you read lamenting Psalms and elsewhere, you often see a couple of questions. You see questions that begin, how long, O Lord? And you also see questions that begin, why? Why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Um, To cry out to God. Bring your complaint. Tell him what's going on. Um, Laments often involve also expressing trust and what we do know and what we do believe and what we do understand about God. But then bringing requests, clear requests to deal with that uh, which confronts us at the moment. There are psalmists who rage against their their enemies, um, who lament that the wicked seem to prosper. Uh, the Bible enables us and helps us to grow in patience in the midst of affliction uh, in our prayer life, that our prayers don't just become glib. And then it can also involve this, telling God what you will do in the future. I will praise you, God. I will trust you. I will follow you. Um, sometimes I'll, I will praise you. It, right now, it doesn't feel like there's much to go on, but I will praise you. Um, there's my encouragement to you. But this chapter also, just as we come into a, a, a close shortly, visits hope. Patience without hope would just be grim as well. But this passage points us to hope. Specifically, it points us to the Lord's coming. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, in verse 7, until the Lord comes. Uh, Later on in verse 8, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And then describes the farmer. The farmer is waiting for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring Rains. That farmer is waiting with expectation, not with despair. He's waiting for rains that he know, he knows will come. And therefore he's waiting for these valuable crops uh, to come to fruition. It's not if, it's a matter of when. Um, and for us, even though there might be uh, pain and suffering, heartache of all sorts there are things that we know and our hope are placed upon if we don't have this hope then how is there any benefit or value in being a believer Um, but we do have uh, a great hope and reason to say you know the lord is full of compassion and mercy we were told about job's perseverance and we're then told in verse 11 uh, you've heard of job's perseverance and have seen what the lord finally brought about, finally bringing about a restoration in Job's life. That doesn't mean that we're waiting for every comfort and blessing to come our way in this life. For us, uh, the parallel will be what the Lord finally brings about when Jesus comes again. We're maybe a little bit like that farmer in between the seasons, We've had the rain come once in the autumn, and but we're waiting for the rain to come in the spring. And those rain seasons would have been far more distinct where James was coming from than they are here in the UK when it can rain any day of the week and any month of the year. There's more specific and more specific seasons then. And we're like that farmer in an in-between stage because the Lord has come. 
He's come and he's lived um, and he has suffered and he has shown the love of God and he's died on the cross for our sin, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. That has happened. He has demonstrated the height and depth, the breadth and the length of his amazing love for us. That's certain. And he rose from the dead. Um, on the third day, he rose from the dead and visibly ascended to heaven. Therefore, given that he said himself that he would come back, we know that he will. We don't know when. And we might ponder the definition precisely of near. Well, how near is this? And then we'll understand one day. Uh, who knows when the Lord will return in our lifetimes or, in our, or thousands of years hence or somewhere in between. But we know and we can be patient, therefore, because we know it will definitely happen. He's coming again. And when he comes again, he will bring judgment on all evil and all injustice. He will put an end to injustice for eternity. He will put an end to disease and every uh, every virus. And he will draw people who know and trust in him into a perfect community, into his glorious kingdom. And there'll be no wariness or suspicion. There'll be, uh, who knows how socially distant we might be, but we will know perfect community. We'll know what it, it, it is to be together. And that's my encouragement to you today, is remember where your hope is. If you're a believer in Jesus, remember where it ultimately rests. We might put our hope in a vaccine being highly effective. We might put our hope in the EU uh, trade, the, the, the trade deal with the EU working out well and this nation being able to make other trade deals. We might do. I mean, personally, I'm not sure that I'm holding my breath on either of those things. Let's find our hope, our peace, and therefore our patience in the midst of suffering in a place which is basically more solid in the Bible, in the truth, and in the return of Jesus.